Happy February, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Pastor Bob Thune. I'm here with my friends, Pastor Dusty White and Pastor Chris Hemmelman. On Wednesdays, we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. Today, we're asking that amazing question from the Good Samaritan parable, who is my neighbor? A thoughtful question sent in by a listener that teed up this topic, and I'm going to read his question in a minute. First of all, guys, uh, how's the snack game today? Mm. Mm. Still eating snacks from... Katrina from well, a week ago. Yeah. I mean we had to go to the we had to go to the cupboard. <laughs> yeah, is is the real to go answer. To the cupboard. Get out the uh the leftover snacks. So that's good that's good news though. We're well stocked. I'll I'll shout out to the to the gummies that that she, oh, she yeah. brought us. Those gummies are pretty tasty. They're kind of I mean, honestly, my kids eat a lot of fruit snacks. They're they're a lot like fruit mm-hmm. snacks. They got good strong flavor. They do. They're a strong grape flavor. What are they called, Dusty? They are called soft O jelly. Soft O jelly. I don't know what don't worry, they're natural. I don't know where they're from. Natural. You can, you can <laughs> eat a lot of them. That's exactly, natural fruit That's exactly how fruit comes. Yeah. What does the word natural mean when you're literally eating a large gelatin blob? This is not natural. This is not how fruit is in its natural state. They're great. They're grape, so they're great. All right, here's today's topic. From a listener, I'm going to read the email this listener sent in so that you can engage the topic we're going to talk about. He writes... I have a good friend whose convictions are different from my own regarding things like mercy ministry, tithing, church budget, and global missions. As we have engaged one another and engaged God's word together, it is clear that our conviction regarding globalism is one of the theological linchpins which causes our convictions to be so different. So, how do we apply the Good Samaritan parable in a world in which we are constantly assaulted with the needs of others? I can't listen to a podcast, read the newspaper, or even check out at the supermarket without being faced with the needs of suffering human beings made in God's image, many of whom are on the other side of the globe. Am I being the priest or Levite when I choose not to round up my grocery grocery bill? Where do we draw the line to land the plane of the Good Samaritan parable in a world that is ever more dominated by globalism? Additionally, as we seek to serve those in need, Should we prioritize the city in which we reside? The Good Samaritan seemingly runs across the man in need in the flow of his everyday life. Or should we seek to give globally because my efforts and money may be expended more efficiently? Is there any biblical guidance here or is it a matter of conscience? I think that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. And obviously this comes out of the episode we did a few uh, episodes ago on mercy ministry. Um, We talked about a similar question. And so I think this is just a sort of taking that a little deeper. Chris, who is my neighbor? The person closest to you. Wow. <laughs> wow. Good answer. Go on. Simply, simply put. So you agree with this listener's conviction, not with his friends. His friend would say like, you should give to the, where the yeah, wherever the greatest uh, need is. Not that you can't. I mean, certainly there, there is good in giving to those in need in, in far away places, but I don't believe we have the same moral obligation to those far from us as we do for those in front of us. Oh, I like that. So oh, you that's just a good said, line. Yeah, you just said we don't have the same moral obligations. So you're not saying it's just a matter of conscience, just do what you think. You're saying, no, there's actually a moral consideration. Here. Yeah, absolutely. Go for absolutely. it. Absolutely. Build yeah. it out for us. So if you look at the principle of the the Good Samaritan, I mean, there there is some uh, cultural, religious, ethnic tensions that, that Jesus is confronting, 
But the reality of that story is the guy was right in front of him. And, and the, the question of who is my neighbor, you're, you're not asking necessarily, they weren't necessarily asking distance so much as personal relationship and ethnic issues and religious differences. But the question was about the people in front of me, the people that I'm supposed to be loving. So if you look at the examples of generosity, even in scripture, so think of second Corinthians where Paul is taking up a collection for the church in Jerusalem, there's poverty and he's calling the churches to give. Now those churches are at a distance relationally, but, and here, here's, I think is an important thing that gets overlooked is Paul is drawing on not only just the gospel, the generosity of the gospel, but there's a sense, these are my brothers and sisters. There is a spiritual relationship there. And so that does create a sense of proximity. There's a, there's kind of a moral order that Paul is operating under. So I would make the argument biblically that scripture does give a hierarchy, so to speak, of moral obligation. And I think we need to wrestle through that. What's the hierarchy as, of moral obligation? I would say family, uh, friends, church, like people that you're in close relationship with in the sense of you, you um, know them well. And so because of that, you have more commitment in that relationship. Um, a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. So there is a direct obligation to those that you are fully committed to and God has called you to take responsibility for. So that, that family, close friends, people in your church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, um, were to do good, especially to those of the household of faith. So again, that's a, that's a closeness of relationship that has been mm. built both proximity and spiritually. And then it just sort of moves out further and further and further. All right. Let me, add, let me add a little bit of biblical data to what you just said, because I was recently doing some writing on the office of deacon and I, f I think First Timothy 5 is actually really helpful here. Mm -hmm. It's what you sort of just alluded to, Chris. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Yeah. So what Paul is saying there is, hey, Timothy— you got a widow in the church and she has kids or grandkids, make her kids or grandkids take care of her needs because that's their first responsibility. So there's a, there's a family relationship there. Then he goes on to say, she who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God. And he goes on to say, so let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. He gives a bunch of criteria here. And so he's saying there is, there is a list of widows the church needs to take care of. But there are some criteria for determining who are those. And it's basically the widows who don't have family members who are Christians who will fulfill their obligations to them. And he says at the end of that, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So I do think here we see your principle that you just mentioned of like, you know, the closest obligation we have or to family, to those we are responsible for, mm -hmm. and then slightly out from there to those within our local church who have needs. And it seems like Paul is telling Timothy, yeah, that's how it should work. And, and then, you know, then when I come and take up a collection for the poor in Jerusalem, also give to that. But the assumption is we're already taking care of the widows locally. Yeah. yeah. And the, the contribution for Jerusalem is sort of above and beyond. Yeah. And, and you, you referenced the office of deacon. You look in Acts chapter six, what was the the, the issue that arose that they're needed to appoint deacons, it was meeting needs in the church. Yeah. So not that they didn't meet needs out in the community, but the primary consideration, the primary concern were those widows within the church that needed to be cared for. 
So even when the elders and the, the apostles were setting up the diaconate, they, they were working with yeah. this sort of hierarchical structure there. I like that you're spelling all of that out because when we have a tragedy or we have a crisis or something happens to somebody in our church, the gospel community will tell us, hey, the church needs to be doing something here. The church needs to be stepping in. And then my answer always back is, well, yes, we definitely should, starting probably with the gospel community. But then let's look at the family around that. And, and in certain cases, they're strong Christian family and they do their work and they do all the heavy lifting. And then sometimes they don't, and then we have to step in. So, all right, let me play devil's advocate though. Let me, let me okay. push back with what I assume would be the perspective of this guy's friend who would say, okay, great, Chris, I agree. You know, people should take care of those close to them. Here's the deal though. There are zero people at first city church who are dying of malnutrition. Mm-hmm. There are zero people who don't have, oh, that's clean, good. who don't have clean water or basic sanitation. So if I compare the, the, the life threatening needs of any poor person within the reach of first city church versus someplace in the world where those needs are very present. Mm-hmm. Why would I not out of honor to Jesus want to help the person who simply doesn't even have clean water. And for a thousand bucks, we can dig them a water well and like make their life way better. Yeah. Why would we not do that first? First, first or, um, at all. I mean, I, I think you no, I, think, I, don't yeah. think, I don't think there's anybody who would say we shouldn't do that at all. Yeah, but I'm, yeah. I'm talking about the order of priority here because you were talking about sort of there's a moral sort of hierarchy. I'm saying why is the top of the moral hierarchy not the person halfway around the world who needs basic existence? Yeah. So, yeah, it's funny to, to try to answer this question without coming across as like care, <laughs> careless or callous. Or like <laughs> you, you don't care about these people. So so there's a sense of, yeah, absolutely. That is a that is a tragedy that, that should be addressed. Uh so let, let me, let me use the analogy of, uh, marriage in some sense. Like I am married to my wife, Mindy, and I have made a commitment to her. I am, I am in relationship with her to a deeper degree. And there's the expectations are, are greater there to, you know, someone that lives across town, just, you know, even in nearer proximity that is hurting. So I think just just by the principle of commitment, of relational commitment and racial, relational depth, the obligation raises. So if if we want, if we're talking about this kind of an abstract sort of moral principles, I I, I want to lean into this idea of relational commitment, relational depth that obligates me to those people first and foremost, more so than it does to. And so we're not we're not. I guess the start. Maybe this is the way as I'm as I'm talking here. So here's what I think I'm saying, and I may revise my statement as we're talking, but I think we start with a foundation of relationship and commitment before we even talk about need. Now, mm. with needs, yeah, yes, we, we step into needs, but that's not the first step. I'm saying the first step in this question is always relationship. Yeah. Why does Paul make the statements that he makes? Why can he draw those categories? He's not starting from the place of need. He's starting from the place of commitment and relationship. You, why, why do widows go to their family? Because children honor their parents. That's a relational starting point. So yeah. I think that's where, where I, would, I would make the argument and go there's, from there. There's locality, there's relational proximity versus need. So like to, to build that out, if I'm concerned about a need and I'm like all in on my need, I'm, to use Bob's thing, like I'm building wells in India and I'm building one well at a time and, and you're suffering and I know you 
and you and Mindy are, you know, down and out. Yeah. But it doesn't really matter because this need, these wells in India are more important that there's an issue of conscience there. Yeah. Right? There's a yeah. relation. Something's off is what I, what I hear. Yeah. You and, it, and it sounds, I, and I understand what I'm, when I'm talking about this, that it sounds as if I'm callous to a need and I'm saying no, I'm be I don't callous so. to me to needs or that needs don't provoke things, but, but they, they provoke things as we are in relationship. And so that's why if, if two people have an equal need and I'm closer to one than the other, why is my moral obligation to this person? It's not, it's because of the relational commitment that's there. So we're starting from a place of relationship. And I think this conversation for various reasons often gets, we start with our moral sort of reasoning from, from need. So, so this is, I mean, as I'm teasing out this argument in our conversation, I think, I think that's what I'm, I'm trying to press. Um, I actually think there are two broader theological categories that, that back up your argument. One is, so you use the language of relationship and I think in the old Testament, that's the language of covenant. Yeah. Right. And so if you, if you look at how God legislates the mosaic covenant, the, the primary responsibility for the people of Israel was, you know, why can't you lend money to an Israelite and charge interest? Because that's exploiting your brother. It's usury. And so God says you can't do that, but you can do it toward foreigners. Like you're allowed to make money. It's just you can't, you can't have a relationship with a fellow Israelite that disadvantages them and places them in need? Or why do you have the the law of Jubilee where it's like the land has to go back to the families of origin every 49 years? Because God's trying to protect that the way he set things up were to ensure that no one in Israel would be destitute. Mm -hmm. And so there's a primary covenantal responsibility to those in Israel. That same obligation does not extend to the Moabites or to the Philistines. Mm-hmm. As you see when you read the Old Testament, so there, I think the principle of covenantal relationship is a starting point. The second biblical category that I think connects here is the sovereignty of God. And so you, you know, you would say it, the way you described it, Chris, was you know, relationship comes first, then need. I, I might just say it this way: we are responsible primarily to the place in the world where God has put us. Mm-hmm where he has put us is up to his sovereignty. Mm. You know, yes, I live in a first world country with a decent amount of affluence compared to the rest of the world. That's the sovereignty of God that has placed me there. Does that mean I don't have responsibility to the rest of the world? No, it doesn't. But it means my primary responsibility has to do with where God has put me. And so my, you know, my primary starting point is I think the Good Samaritan parable is a good example of, yes, he came across this person in the course of his ordinary life. God didn't pick him up and set him down somewhere, you know, around the globe and have him run into this guy. The story is he was out for a walk. He came across this guy who had been beaten and he tended to his needs. And what makes the story provocative is, oh, and he was a Samaritan. Yeah. Um, Yeah. and, And so, but the assumption is, there's a primary, the sovereignty of God matters for where we are in the world and what our responsibilities are in that place. Now, where I think there's an interesting biblical question is, how does the family of God connect that? So I would say like, you know, now that we're a part of the people of God, I do have an obligation to other Christians. Yeah. And yep. so if, you know, to use your example of Paul coming to the church in Macedonia and taking up a collection for Jerusalem, 
I have an obligation to the church in India or the church in China or the church in yeah, you sure. know, Sudan. Yep. And so if my brother, if I know of a need among my brothers and sisters there that I have both the opportunity and the resources to meet, it does seem like there's an obligation there. What would you say to that? I think you're a hundred percent spot on because you're emphasizing again, this, how, how is relationship built covenantal community built? How, how is there a, a sense of more commitment and that comes through the church, comes through those relationships. So again, we're not arguing the exclusivity of close relationships and close proximity, yeah. but we're saying this is where we start and this is where the, the moral ob- the weight of the moral obligation, it's, it's weighted more in those directions. And then as we move further out, I think there, there, there's much more room for conscience or for particular preference for helping other ministries or helping other things around the world. But I don't think we all care, have to carry those burdens equally. Hmm, and we don't have to, uh, I think God has wired some people or gifted some people or called some yeah. people to go step into those areas. It doesn't mean he's necessarily called everybody. So as, as the circle widens, I think it becomes that the, the obligation becomes more unique to specific individuals. And then I don't also have to moralize my cause. Yes, that's that's a really good point where I have to put my moral burden the same on everybody else. Now I can rally people and let people know and maybe God will stir up in them a sense of, of wanting to do this. But yeah, to assume that we all have the same moral burden because I have the, the moral burden is is a miss. All right, so let me play devil's advocate here because that's how I think I, I learn best in these conversations. So here's the pushback. All right, Chris, Dusty, you guys both lead churches that are doing pretty well. You're paying your bills. I mean, I don't know, your budget's half a million or a million or a couple million dollars. Man, you know what? I'm glad that you want people to tithe. I think that's a biblical thing. You don't need a dime of my money. Like, Mm. this church is going to be fine without me giving here. But there are churches on the other side of the world that my giving might make a huge difference. So why would you not tell me start my giving to the places of greatest need, especially if we're talking about Christians. So now we're not just talking about building wells. We're saying there's a church that I know that my giving can make an impact in. Why would I not give the first of my gifts there? And then, you know what, if I have anything left over, maybe I'll throw some money in the offering plate at Quorum Deo or at First City. But realistically, my first obligation should be to Christians who are in great need. Going off of Chris's uh, relational proximity thing, I'm, I was thinking there about how, when he was talking, I was thinking about how Paul set up local churches. And by being a part of this church, you're committed here. And so you're actually also committing to the trusted leadership here. So in one sense, you're saying, hey, I, I'm all in here and I trust what you guys are doing here. And I think those churches do need to have some global connections, some global partnerships, so that I might not have to know those people but I do know that my church has those trusted relationships and we are investing and in helping Christians in India and Tokyo and other places. So, and, and then I would also just say, you don't want to just be giving randomly to those things. So you want to, it still goes back to relational proximity and trusted leadership. So that's why I would say, start with the local church and it, because that's where your trust is built relationally. So, but you, so even though you guys don't need my money, I should just give it to you because. Yeah. Cause I, I, I guess I question the category of giving just bait, just based on 
a perceive how you are perceiving the need of the church. Yeah, I think that's what the question is yeah, asking. Yeah. I think he's saying like my friend would say like but that's not the only just, consideration to giving. I think I would say is in the sense of yeah, I mean, first city by God's grace, we're we're doing very well financially, and and so we're we're not sitting here going, hey, we have this big outstanding need, but there is still this sense of we call our members to give as an expression of commitment to this family so that we, by God's grace, can be faithful to the mission he believes he's given us. And we want to expand that mission. So we're not just kind of in a holding pattern. All the needs are met. We're good. I know that kind of sounds a little bit like a white affluent thing to say, but there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you're still committed to this local church and we're going to steward your funds. And you should still, as an expression of that commitment to this family, start here. It may not, the need might not be perceived as as great, but there's still a sense in which you're expressing commitment to the mission here first and foremost, because this is where you are. This is the family you belong to. I mean, I like both your responses. They just feel a little thin to me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what, what are you okay, going to say? Here's just, what I would say. Just give? <laughs> just give? I, I would, mean, no, I'm going to do better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, right, to answer better. my own devil's advocate. Okay. Do better, but also as you send your hundred bucks away, just know that only 9% of it is going to what you think it is. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, there's wow, that too. Those are some stark stats. Yeah. Um, I think I would lean on two things here. One is just the, the old Testament regulation and Jesus's affirmation of it in the new Testament of tithing. Of just okay. like God, yeah. God's people yeah. didn't Le- Leviticus, you know, did the, did the priests and the temple service need 10%? No, I'm sure they could have gotten by on 9.5, mm-hmm. but God said 10%. Why? Because that's just, that's just what he demands and requires of his people as an expression of sacrificial yeah. generosity. So yeah. I would actually lean into tithing here first and foremost, and just say like, it's actually Jesus gives us commands about what we are to give as a starting point for sacrifice and generosity. I would also use, I would go further to, than your, than what you said, Chris, about just like, well, the local church is a place where I'm committed. And so I should be invested there. I would actually say, I think that the new Testament pattern is that part of how God does his work in the world is through local churches. And that if what you, you know, I kind of want to go Emmanuel Kant here and just say, like, if you just asked, if everybody did what I do, how would that work for the world? Mm -hmm. Right. If everybody, so if everybody started with, I want to be generous in my local church and then sensitive to the conscience and how the spirit's provoking me beyond that, that feels like it works really well for everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. If every Christian in the world said, well, I'm just going to decide where I want to give my 10% based on what I think the greatest need is, no local churches would be supported. And you would have every single individual person deciding where they want to give. And it feels like that actually doesn't, if you just extend that out and say, would that work well for the world? I don't think so. Because you would have no communal presence institutionally of local churches existing defined by commitment of people to one another that includes their financial commitments to one yeah. another. Yeah. So in some ways, what you're saying is that the force multiplier of commitment to a local church and God using the local church, I mean, that that, that is an important consideration that, that we're... Yes. And also, if I go back to the biblical category of Paul coming and taking up a collection for the church in Jerusalem, he's not going house to house and asking individuals. Yeah. He's going to church to, to the church churches. and asking yeah. churches. Like yeah. the church is being generous, not yeah. this individual dude and this woman over here. And you know, he's not just like sending out a fundraising letter. Yeah. So, so in some ways, even individuals giving to that, they're giving through the, exactly. the body, 
Yeah. And so it's, it, there's a sense in which I'm part of something bigger, not just my own individual. Exactly. Uh, my own individual desire there. And there's yeah. order. There's yes, order. there's order. There's order. Yeah. There's another thing I want to say here, which is, um, I might, I could, oh. this is one of those places where I could disagree with myself a week from now. <laughs> <laughs> But I, you know, this listener asked the question of like, hey, as you think about the good Samaritan parable, you know, I have this sense that we should first seek to prioritize where we are. But my friend's conviction is we should, you know, give globally to the place where dollars can be used most efficiently. I think that's a very modernistic evaluation. In other words, to to give based on where my dollars are used most efficiently is a very bureaucratic productivity oriented metric for giving Mm -hmm. it. I don't know how that metric would apply to the woman who poured all of her oil on Jesus's feet. Wow. Yeah. Like, like Judas's concern was like, we could have, could have given that to the poor, you know, like that could have fed a lot of poor people. And Jesus is saying, well, she's anointing me for my burial. I, I just don't know that the category of, how can we make the most impact with every penny is the category the Bible encourages us to use. I, Mm. to your point, Dusty, like I think we're going to get to heaven in like, there's going to be a lot of resource that we look back and realize that we wasted Mm. both from our own lack of generosity. And if you just look at like, man, as a church, maybe we were spending money on this and we should have been spending it on that. Like I have no illusions that every resource decision we make is the best possible decision. But I also just feel a great sense of freedom of like, but I think as long as we're trying to honor Jesus and obey the Bible and be responsible for the yeah. needs that yeah. God puts in front of us, yeah. I just, I, I don't know that, <laughs> that Christians are going to stand before Jesus and he's going to ask them, Chris, were you as, as efficient as possible yeah. with every yeah. possible dollar that I yeah. gave you? I think what he's going to ask is, were you generous? Yeah. yeah and, if, and if your answer is, man, I gave a bunch of money away and then the agency I gave it to embezzled it all. I, he's not holding you responsible. He's holding yeah. the agency responsible. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like yeah. the me, me as an individual Christian, there's, there's a, all I'm responsible for is like, am I being generous before God? Yeah. If I gave it to a ministry that like frittered it away, that's on the ministry. <laughs> that's not on me. And therefore it's, it's also not on me to like, do all the scientific research to make sure that the places I'm giving it are the mm-hmm. most effective and efficient possible. I just think like, I'm not sure many people can bear up under the weight of that kind of like a, make sure you're doing all that research before you give a dime, you yeah. know? And, and gosh, yeah. if you were giving it in India, but now there's a greater need in Sudan, move it over there because it always needs to go to the place of greatest need. Yeah. I, I don't want to say like, I'm not trying to make excuses for wastefulness or for a lack of efficiency, but I do think, I just think that's kind of the nature. That's what Ecclesiastes says the world is like, right? It's just like you're going to store up a bunch of money and then the guy coming after you is going to waste it all. You know, like there's a, there's a certain amount of like you're free from the burden of having to fret about did you maximize every It's interesting to think about efficiency as stinginess. Yeah. Or almost like withholding. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm not... I think generosity is the biblical framework we should be thinking about when we're thinking about giving in general. Yeah. And generosity, you know, is sometimes inefficient. I mean, you know, like sometimes I give money to a person and they spend it on beer instead of on food. Yeah. It's just like, well, I wish I hadn't given that person money, but also I'm glad I was generous. You know, like I, at the end of the day, I'm glad I was 
open-handed with that person, even though next time I might need to be wiser in that situation. Speaking of generosity, remember when that dude knocked on the church door and instead of giving him money, you took him to McDonald's and he bought like 20 hamburgers. Do you remember that? (laughs) Uh, it was real funny. I, well, and you know what he, the funny part of the story. So our, our church used to own a property in a neighborhood that was real like that. It had a lot of transients and people would just come knocking all the time. And I just got, I just got tired of like, we're not, I, you know, I don't want to say no, I want to be generous, but I'm also not handing somebody cash. Yeah. So, so this guy asked for, I don't know, 20 bucks, you know? And I was like, why do you want 20 bucks? Well, I need to buy some food. I was like, well, let's go get in my car. So we drove to <laughs> McDonald's and you know, I'm chatting him up on the way there. And finally, literally, as we're pulling up to McDonald's, he said, hey, man, I didn't really want food. I just, <laughs> I was just trying to get some money. And he's See? like, I mean, I appreciate you bringing me here. And I was like, well, we're here. Might as well get some food. So I bought yeah. him. But he basically confessed to me like, yeah. all right, you took me far yeah. enough. And now I actually have to acknowledge that this isn't what I wanted. Yeah. So I think, yeah, the, the year that I was on staff at Gormdale, I remember buying yeah. a, a guy his sandwich one time. He just yeah. went over to, I was like, hey, I'm going to Jimmy John's. You want a sandwich? Uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. That was that probably was. Byron. It was. It was. Yes. I remember Byron. Yep. He was, he was a good okay, member of the so, neighborhood. So, so dudes, when I'm at the grocery store, you're, what I hear you saying is I don't have to round up every time. Oh, I hate on that every ask. cause. I hate that ask. And here, I never feel obligated for that. So yeah, it, but you're telling me to be generous. Yeah. But I'm also telling you, here's why I never do that. And this actually goes back to the priority of the local church as well, because I realize in that moment, number one, it always surprises me because I'm like, there's some checker in the moment that I'm about to insert my card in the card reader saying, yeah. do you want to round up for, you know, yeah. XYZ It's a manipulative charity? tactic. Yeah. Well, I'm just like, gosh, I don't even know what XYZ charity is. Like, I've not heard of yeah. them. I would want to do a little research before I... Don't worry about it. You got your money out right now. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like 39 cents, whatever. I know it's not going to break me, but I, I want to be a little wiser. But I almost always say no because I just don't have confidence that many of those agencies are doing work in the name of Jesus and in in the places where it should be most urgently mm-hmm. done. And so I just, I, I never feel any, <laughs> any pangs of conscience about saying, nope, I'm not rounding up, even though it's 39 cents. The answer is no. Now, if you do that every time, great, good for you. I, I don't think, I don't think there's a moral obligation one way or the other, but I just think, yeah, when it comes to like, you know, should I round up for charity at this place or that place? Or, you know, should I throw my quarter in the, you know, my change in the change thing? you know what, if you want to feel free, if you don't want to feel free, I think that's entirely a matter of conscience. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of freedom in, in some of these areas to give as, as the Lord would, or as you have a, a a conscience too. Uh, but, but as we've been emphasizing, not at the expense of primary obligation and primary commitments. Right. And I think the last question here is, you know, point that's made in the question is I can't listen to a podcast, read the newspaper or check out the supermarket without being faced with the needs of suffering human beings around the world. And I think we do have to realize like, yeah, we just have access to information that most generations haven't had. So like you can know every need in every place in the world in a way that like your grandparents didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> and so Sometimes being bombarded with the level of need feels really overwhelming because it feels like, well, man, I should be given to all this stuff. I should be, I should be helping all these people. And why am I giving to Chris to first city church when, you know, like there's people all over the world that are in dire need. And 
so I just want to name the fact that part of the knowledge of that is a little overwhelming. Um, I think of you know that psalm that says like I, I'm not going to be concerned with what I with what's beyond me. Mm-hmm. You know there there's a a good kind of localism that says I realize I can know more about what's going on in the world than anyone else ever has been able to, and that doesn't necessarily mean that I have obligations to all of those needs um, because of what you said in the first place, Chris, that I'm, God's put me in a certain place and given me certain immediate obligations in my sphere of influence, and I need to be faithful in those as best I can. Hey, I think this has been a really good question. I want to thank the listener who sent this in because it, it really is, um, there is a, a moral question here, you know, because we all know that we do need to be showing mercy to those around us in the parable of the Good Samaritan is such a, such a classic parable. So there, there really is a need for us to think through this at the level of what does it mean for me to be effectively engaged in showing mercy to the people around me. Um, and I hope that some of what we've said has spurred good thoughts for you. Uh, again, I don't know that we've um, exhausted the topic or even done the best we can with the question, but I hope that our conversation and some of the biblical paradigms that we've brought to bear on this question have helped you think through, you know, for you as a Christian, all right, what are your obligations? How should you think about investing in involvement both in the local church and in the, in the needs around you? So thanks for listening and thanks listener for this question. I hope we I hope you have a great conversation with your friend based on the podcast we just recorded. The goal of this podcast, of course, is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or a church leader who's in another context, we thank you for listening in. We pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We always love to hear from listeners. So if you have thoughts, questions, or future podcast topics, feel free to send an email to us. You can reach us at podcast at cdomaha.com. As always, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation.